Hey everybody, this is Brian with the uh, Mid-City Vineyard Church podcast conversation. If you want to learn a little bit more about Mid-City Vineyard, make sure you check us out online at midcityvineyard.org. You can also find us on Facebook, Mid-City Vineyard Church, and of course on Instagram at Mid-City Vineyard. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we started a brand new series entitled, I've Always Wondered, Questions About the Faith, or uh, more specifically, Questions About the Christian Faith. And we asked people who are part of Mid-City Vineyard to send in their questions. What are the, some of the things that you've always wondered about? And we got such a great number of amazing questions. And so we're going to spend the next couple of weeks really looking at some of these um, difficult questions when it comes to faith. So this week, the question was, if God already knows everything, then how does prayer actually work? And as you'll see in this particular conversation, it was really a two-part question because one of the things that we decided to tackle in the middle of it was, does God actually know everything? And so you'll hear that as we move over to the conversation. But I just want to remind you that in these conversations, in these teachings, uh, we encourage everyone to wrestle for themselves, to think through and to ultimately wrestle with the divine and, and, and kind of wrestle with your own life and just determine where do you land on some of these things. We, we don't believe that we all have to land in the same space and place, but we do know that wherever we land, it will ultimately determine how you view the divine, how you view life, how you view decisions, and how you ultimately live your life. So we encourage you to wrestle with it. And then we're going to head on over to the conversation. Much peace to you. So the series that we're in, I've always wondered, we're asking questions. We're kind of putting them out there last week. Uh, the question about how should one read and slash or interpret the scriptures. And so that that's going to have to carry through for the next number of weeks because a lot of the answers to the rest of these questions, when, when we talk about them, a lot of it comes back to how you actually interpret the scripture. And so you are making some decisions for yourself about how you think you uh, would want to interpret the scripture moving forward. Uh, and then there will be some other topics that we're going to talk about. And I, I've mentioned this to you already. You're just, some of, the, some of the things that I say you just flat out won't agree with and other things you will agree with. And that's fine. We kind of have to wrestle with some of these topics to figure it out for ourselves what we sense God doing with us because there's really honestly there aren't very many clear directives on a lot of the topics that we're talking about so for instance today's question uh, if God already knows everything then why pray the exact question as it came in I, I changed it a little the exact question was this if God already knows the day I'm going to die then why pray so I, I, I changed it around a little bit because that idea of God knowing the day you're going to die really ultimately plays into if God already knows everything, then why or why should we pray or how does prayer work? Might have been, uh, is actually the way it was worded. So we're going to look at that today. If God knows everything, then how does prayer work? What a great question. This question on the, on the surface seems like it's simply about prayer, but the truth is without knowing it, this person asked a question that scholars and theologians uh, and professors have been studying for, for years. It's a two-part question. The first part of this question could be asked, first off, does God know everything? To which 
you might immediately say, well, of course God knows everything. But that's actually part of the question because scholars and theologians disagree on whether or not God actually knows everything. I'll unpack that in a minute. The second part of that is then why, whether God does or does not, then why pray and how does prayer work? So let's talk for a minute about omniscience, which is this this understanding that God is all-knowing. We talk about omniscience uh, when we when we are discussing the attributes of God. What are what is God like? God is all loving, God is all caring, God is all merciful, God is all knowing, and so on and so forth. Does God therefore know everything? Now Here's how I'd unpack this. Does God know, if, if you're a single person, does God know who, who I'm going to marry? Or does God know if that marriage is going to last? Does God know who my second husband is going to be? Does God know if I'm going to get laid off from my job? Does God know if I'm going to give birth to a stillborn child? Does God know if I'm going to land that dream job? Does God know if the Saints are going to win the Super Bowl next year? Does God know where we're going to eat lunch today? I mean, because honestly, half of us don't know where we're going to eat lunch today. Julio already knows. <laughs> so our initial response, our initial response is, of course God knows, because God is God, and God knows everything. But here is part where, when we begin to dig in, here's where this goes. If that is true, and it very well might be, okay, I, I'm not arguing a particular position here today. I'm I'm giving you a couple of positions. But if that's true, then it leads to other questions. If God knew that the person I was going to marry was going to be abusive, then why didn't God protect me from making that decision? If God knew that Hitler was going to kill millions and millions of people, then why did God even allow Hitler to be conceived? If God knew that my my sister would get in a car and be hit by a drunk driver, then why did God allow my sister to get into that car? I mean, these are if God knew that the Falcons were going to blow a 28 to 3 lead, then why did God allow me to turn it off before the fourth quarter? <laughs> if God knows how my life will end up, then why worry about how I live it? I mean, these are these now these questions are very powerful because they take us down a an, an investigative journey of the nature of God. What is God like? What what might God know? What might God not know? These kinds of things. I mean, I think it's a very fair question. If God knew that that person was going to be abusive, then why did God not protect me from that decision? Because what happens when we a lot of times, especially if a person is a follower of Christ and they're trying and they're thinking about a, a marriage relationship, what do you do? You pray about it. God, is this the is this the right person? And if you get a sense that you're getting a sense of yes, this could be the right person, then you follow through on that marriage. And then they turn out to not be the right person. Then what ha- ha- we look back and well, God, I thought there are a couple of ways to understand God's knowing of all things or it's called the the doctrine of foreknowledge god's foreknowledge of things and there are actually three very popular ideas and all three have firm scriptural foundations and so basically you can follow any one of these three and you can find scripture to back it up which is why we had to start last week with how do you read scripture because all three of these that i'm going to give you 
you could go back to the scripture and say, clearly the Bible says right here, bam. And it would be clear. And yet it's not clear. The first is this idea that everything in your life is predetermined and God has complete foreknowledge of everything that's going to happen. The, the, the name for this is Calvinism. Calvinism teaches that everything in your life is preordained and predetermined. Every decision you're going to make has been predetermined and preordained. Everything that's going to happen has been predecided and preordained. The day that you die was known before the day that you were born. Everything has been, and God has complete foreknowledge of all of these things. This view holds that God's foreknowledge is based on how God, God's self, wills the future to be. So there's this idea that God is sitting uh, or standing or floating or whatever God does with a, with a master blueprint. And it's like Donna's life. And it's just kind of. And according to this view, God knows what will come to pass because God has predestined it. Listen, there are scriptures to back this up. Since the foundation of the world, this has been predetermined. This is predestined. Matter of fact, there are places in, in, uh, in, in Paul's letters where it seems that certain people, and Calvinists would say, that certain people are destined to know God, and certain people from the very beginning before they were born are destined not to know God. That, you can find it in the Bible, and it raises clear questions <laughs> to have to go further of if God was going to make somebody who has been predestined not to know God, then why would a loving God ever do that? It's a logical place for the question to go. If we look in the book of Ephesians, uh, chapter 1, and you would find that there's ultimately, there seem to be, there, there, there are decisions that are rooted in God's eternal purposes that come from the foundation of the earth. So if you're writing down notes, you could jot down Ephesians 1, 4 through 13, and Ephesians 3, 11, and it kind of talks about this, this predetermined kind of existence with God. So that is one side of this equation. There's another, what I would call more of a, a middle ground, and it's called Arminianism. Keep in mind that these names of these doctrines are named after people who believe these things. So John Calvin was the first guy. Arminian uh, uh, was the second guy. And then the third one we'll talk about wasn't named after a, a person. Arminianism is this idea that God predetermines some events, however, leaves other aspects up to free will. There, was no, there wasn't really free will in the other one. There's the illusion of free will, but there wasn't really free will. Now, in Arminianism, God still knows what's going to pass because God knows, even though there's free will, God knows what decisions you're going to make. Okay, so that's where this one comes down. It's this idea that, you know, God does know where we're going to eat lunch, and we have every opportunity to choose anything we want, but God already knows what you're going to choose. That's, that's the idea here. Now, biblical arguments for this one is when Jesus actually tells Peter, you're going to deny me. So it seems that the, there's this divine moment where, where the divine Christ knows what's going to happen, what decision Peter is going to make. Or when God in the Old Testament tells Abraham, you're going to be the father of a great nation, it, it seems that there, there, there's an argument to be said that all along the way, Abraham could have decided, no, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to go that way. I'm not. But 
they were Abraham's choices, but God knew which choices Abraham was going to make. So that's, that's got something there. There's a little bit more freedom and free will in that uh, scenario. That's kind of in the middle. There's a third, and it's called um, open theology or open theism. And it's the idea that the future is not just about what will come to pass, but the future is also about what may or may not come to pass. And here's the, here's the gist of that. Free will plays into this doctrine all the way on this side completely because it's the idea that God, the divine, intentionally chooses to limit God's ability to foreknow decisions that will be made. You can do with that one what you want. Basically, open theism says that God understands and foreknows the grand narrative. God knows why people were created. God knows that there is redemption available. God knows that creation and all of the world is going to a good and beautiful end or it's not really going to end, that we will become people of mercy and grace and peace and kindness, that God is taking this thing. He is making a beautiful new creation out of what is. And that's, that's kind of the, that's the done deal. This is what God knows. But now, in the midst of it, God has invited human beings to cooperate with God to help take this story forward. And so God intentionally chooses to limit his knowledge of what we're going to do and what decisions might be made. Now, here are some biblical arguments for that. There's a, there's a passage in Jeremiah, uh, chapter 26, verses 3 and 19, where it says, you know, Jer- uh, God is talking to Jeremiah, and he talks about, actually, he says, hey, listen, I want you to go do such and such, but there's a chance that I might change my mind. So there's this, this idea that God might change God's mind. There are other passages. You might be familiar with some of these. Abraham in the Old Testament is talking about uh, when uh, uh, Sodom and Gomorrah are going to be apparently burned by God. And, and Abraham says, well, if you find 100 righteous people, would you, would you not destroy it? And God's like, eh, okay. And he's like, well, what about 50? Uh, okay. What about 20? Uh, okay. What about 10? Yeah, okay. What about one? Yeah, okay. There's this, there's this actual back and forth between God and Abraham. David, there's, there's accounts of David pleading with God. There's accounts of Jesus pleading with God in the garden. There's accounts of Paul pleading with God. There's accounts of Moses pleading with God. And there's actual times where it says in the scriptures that God changed God's mind. Someone asked about one of the questions, which we're not going to give a whole week to, but somebody asked the question about, does God actually regret? Because it says in the book of Genesis that after, uh, that, that before the flood, God regretted making human beings. Remember, all of this goes back to how we read the scripture. We, Genesis 1 through 8 especially, um, seen not so much as historical accounts, but kind of an overarching picture of how Israel understood their history. But it said that God regretted making humanity in that so does God have regrets I think that leans to this kind of open view in some sense now here's the thing every single one of these views Calvinism Arminianism open theism you can go to the scripture and you can make a case for all of them you can make a case for all of them and depending on where you are in your life and where you've been in your faith struggle 
one's going to make more sense than the other. For instance, I've heard it said, when a tragedy strikes, I've heard the phrase, well, listen, God knew this was going to happen. God is still in charge. God is still in control. God is still on the throne. And so it's going to be okay. And some people take a deep breath and say, okay, this tragedy happened, but God knew it was going to happen. God is still in charge. I take comfort in that. Some people take comfort in that. You tell someone with my personality, hey, God knew this was going to happen. God is still in charge. God is in control. And I'm going to flip my lid because that that answer doesn't work for me. But it might work for Dan. So what does that mean? Am I writer? Is Danny writer? Is he wrong? It means that you got to actually wrestle with your faith and allow God to kind of push back and forth and you and God push back and forth on some of these things. When it comes to prayer, though, how, do these, how does prayer play into any or all of these? Prayer, prayer is an interesting thing here for us. Because how does it work? Well, I think there's some kind of answer for this, but ultimately here's here's what we need to know. Going back to the Bible, what do we see in the scriptures? What do we see from our models? What do we see from our mentors? What do we see from the ancient fathers? What do we see from Jesus, the Christ himself, who we have declared to follow? Jesus alone we see in the Gospels that it's mentioned over 30 times that Jesus himself prayed. So there's got to be, some, if, if for no other reason that we understood prayer, it's kind of like this. Jesus says, hey, follow me. When, you, when, when someone says, follow me, and then you say, yeah, sign me up, then that means you do the things that that person does. So that's, that's just part of it. So Jesus is the model. He says, look at how I, I prayed. I oftentimes interacted with God. Or you could call it meditated or reflected or whatever it might be. Paul mentions prayer over 40 times. And so what we see in the New Testament is that prayer is valuable. And I I would suggest this here. When it comes to prayer, the greatest value of prayer for us is that prayer is something that shapes us. We are shaped by prayer. Whether... You fall on God, everything is predetermined. You fall on the part that maybe there is free will, but God already knows what I'm going to choose. Or you, ter- you fall on the part of God, even God has chosen not to know what I'm going to choose because God wants me to have such free will. But any which way, prayer in all of them is designed to, for you as an individual and for us as a community to be shaped into Christ-likeness. There is a shaping that goes along when it comes to prayer. We are shaped in how we interact with God. That's why I would even tell you in this particular thing, wrestle with God on on this. And listen, if you don't have anything right now, like if there's not a pressing issue to wrestle, that's fine. There will be at some point in your life because this, this is the kind of stuff that when the stuff hits the fan, all of a sudden, whatever answer we had been given that we knew cognitively, it doesn't work sometimes in our hearts. And so we have to get to a place of wrestling. And if you're not there yet, don't force yourself. It'll come, trust me. It'll find its way to you. But prayer shapes us. Interacting with the divine shapes us. It moves us as we ebb and flow 
with God. Now, I would suggest that in the first view, the Calvinism, and even in the second view, if God already knows all the decisions I'm going to make, really one of the only benefits is the shaping process. Because if those, if those two are true, if, God, if everything's predetermined, then it really does not matter, in my opinion, if you pray for this person to be healed of sickness if it's already been predetermined, or for this person, to, for that, or for this, if it's already been predetermined. So that's why those two, to me, prayer is about formation, it's about you, it's about your connection with the divine. If you lean more towards a, a, a view, though, that God has us as co-creators, that God has invited us to take part in the process with God of seeing creation renewed. You know, if God has really put us in the place and in the space of working to, to see more mercy and to see more grace and to see more beauty, to see less poverty, to see less, less alienation, to see less racism, to see less ageism or sexism or whatever, if we actually believe that we're partners with God in these things, then that, to me, gives prayer a whole new view or a, a whole new meaning because now it's kind of like not only are we praying and asking God but we're, we're looking God how might I cooperate with you on this particular thing and we kind of get God's heart for stuff we see oh this this is this the way I sense God going this is what I sense God doing and I get a choice, and God hasn't predetermined it, and God hasn't even, maybe God, maybe, God doesn't even know which way I'm going to go. And so it makes the prayer a little bit more of, hey, God, I really want to, I want to connect with you on this. Which is also why the formation is so important, because have you ever prayed something and felt like God was leading you in a particular way, only for the thing to blow up in your face and go to pot? Has that ever happened to anybody? You can raise your hand. Seriously, I want to know. Two, three, okay. And so then we go, oh my gosh, how did, how did that happen? I think it's beautiful when that happens because that's part of the formation. That's part of the process of, of growing up, of maturing in Christ. That's how a person, people ask me all the time, how do you know what God sounds like? <laughs> in my life, I've learned what God doesn't sound like because I prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and I thought, oh, this is what God's saying. And then I went that direction and the thing blows up and I think, hmm, I'm starting to think maybe that's not what God say, was saying. And so I rewind. And then when I come across that type of issue or roadblock or speed bump again, I know, hmm, last time it felt and looked like this. And I thought, okay, this time I'm going to steer over here. Oh, look, this is more how God responds. This is more how I interact with God. This is more what God sounds like in my life so in the third view it's not just about being shaped prayer is not just about being shaped but it's also about partnering with God to help determine what the future will be listen the grand scheme of things the narrative where this thing is going earth and creation everything is going to a place of restoration and reconciliation and redemption I believe that that is something that we grab hold of through the narrative of scripture, all of the scripture. I believe it is very descriptive in scripture that this is where it's going. The question is, how are we going to get there, and how do we cooperate with God in getting there? So I would highly recommend that we continue to be people who pray. And we did a whole, 
a whole class on, on prayer and how to pray a while back. And there was some really, we, we went through like four weeks of, of different styles and different types of prayers and different ways of interacting with God. And some of them really worked for some people and some of them really did not work for some people. And that was the beauty of it, though, is because we were trying to, to give tools. And we might do something like that again in the future, too, because praying, if nothing else, that's why I'm, 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 I firmly believe wherever you land, okay. But idea and priority number one, with prayer is that prayer has a lot more to do with you than it does with God. So for that reason, it doesn't matter which, where you land on the foreknowledge debate. All three of these places, there's formation to be experienced. There's interaction between you and the divine to be pressed into. There are things that God wants to grow in you. There are ways that God wants to mature you. There there are things that God wants to open your eyes and your heart and your soul to. So it doesn't matter where you fall on the foreknowledge debate. Prayer is that place of formation. One of those places of formation and being shaped. And it's probably even in prayer. Some people call it prayer. Some people call it wrestling. I think they're often the same. Where other things like the foreknowledge debate if it's something you care about, maybe that's the place where God starts to reveal certain things to you. And then other people are like, I don't care about that stuff at all. I know, we'll come back next week. We're going to talk about suffering. Everyone cares about that. So it's, it's, it's this pressing in. How does prayer work? If nothing else, it's formative. And depending on these other things, I actually believe, I personally believe, because I told you where I'd land on most of this stuff, I personally believe that God has, in some way, given free will to the point that even God has chosen not to know what I'm going to decide sometimes. And for me, in my life, that works. For someone else, they're going to be like, that's never going to work for me. I get it. But for me, it, it, it has brought prayer to a whole other place of, hey, God, I want to know what you think here. I want to cooperate with what you think here. I want to be formed and shaped in this. I think my decisions really do matter, and I don't necessarily think they're mapped out. So would you lead me, guide me, teach me, mature me, show me, as I continue to press in to you? That, in a nutshell, is how I think that prayer works. And that's why I think no matter where you land, it's important for all of us. I think that's why Jesus did it. I believe Jesus was shaped by prayer. And I believe Jesus' decisions were impacted because of the time that Jesus spent in prayer with the divine, speaking to God, asking God for God's thoughts, God's wisdom, God's ideas. That's what we're doing when we pray.